I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. One Giant Mind is synonymous with meditation. In this podcast, we're going to go on a journey of exploring themes and topics that not only conceptually provide us with a roadmap, but also very practical exercises that enable you to embody this knowledge and really make a difference in the way that you show up day to day. In this first episode, my dear friend and student, Andrea Stern, a renowned photographer in New York City, who invited a group of her friends to her loft to ask some hard questions of me about the relevance of meditation, kicked off by asking me to share a little bit about my personal journey that led me to meditation and how I got to where I am today. I really loved where this conversation went because it set the foundation for everything I want to achieve with this podcast. Let's get into it. Does anybody realize that they don't want to be here? (laughs) I invited a few of my friends here, but didn't give them much information. Good. And then a friend said, yes. And then they said, what's his name? And I said, Johnny? No, no, what's what's his full name? I want to check him out. And I just, for me, that was, um, you know, I never checked you out. You know, we met socially. Mm. And um, I remember going through a very hard time that week. I was having a very tough time with family issues, tensions, dramas of of a personal sort. Uh, And I was in pretty bad shape emotionally. And I remember meeting you. And from the minute I met you, I mean, literally at hello, there was a calm about you and a presence that just started to change the energy, started to make me feel a little bit grounded. Um, you came for a social visit for a tea. We said maybe we'd meet and talk for, you know, half an hour. And I think you and Carla stayed like three hours. And in that span of the three hours, I found myself feeling, feeling a release of the pain and the suffering that I had been kind of just locked in for for days. And I remember thinking, I want what he's having. <laughs> and I didn't want the conversation to end. And I remember thinking, you know, th- there's something here that I, 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 I need to understand better. I need to learn. Um, and it was really just through conversation with you. And from just a social conversation, I started to ask you what you did. And you said, you're a teacher, you teach meditation, which I thought, oh. And then the next thought was, I'll never be able to do that. I've done yoga for 20 years, but the idea of sitting quietly, doing nothing, thinking my thoughts was just an impossible challenge. But you had such an easy way and very friendly. Um, (laughs) You made it kind of unscary. You make something that can seem so difficult and so hard to reach, you make it seem accessible and possible, uh, a sense of inner peace or an inner calm. And you said, I, I, I think I could help. And I, you know, I've been wanting to know more about you ever since. And so I'd love to share with the people that I've invited here um, your story, which I'd, I'd like you to talk about, um, and how you became so wise beyond your years. Hmm. So, if you don't mind starting and talking about that in a way that um, 
feels organic to you. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I've often had people say, you seem so wise beyond your years. It's never really made much sense to me because, uh, you know, I'm now a 42-year-old man and have experienced all kinds of things in this life. You know, some of the, the hardest things that a human being can can face, some, not all, but some, um, I've, I've experienced and gone through, felt immense pain and grief and, um, and had to process, you know, these very real human experiences. And I think that who I am and what I am is a byproduct of um, being thorough in the way in which I process life, that I experience life. And so when somebody says that I am wise beyond my years, to me, I, I, am, I am at the place where I think a man of my age and my experience should be. I think that comparatively, I may appear wise beyond my years. But it's my perspective that how I see life and how I uh, interact with the world and people, um, it's terribly normal. And in my investigation um, into human nature over the last 20 odd years, what I've realized is that there is this gaping hole in our human experience of understanding who we are, what we are, what the purpose of our existence is, and what enables us to flourish. And I think it's simply because I've embraced as the primary focus of my existence to understand intimately how I can be the most expressive of the thing that I know myself to be. And, you know, through this podcast, what I'd really like to do is to, you know, unpack the, the, the framework um, of how I see that, that I also recognize as something that's universal, it's common, we all share it through my investigation, through my own personal study and practice, but also teaching, what I've learned is that we all share in a, a nature. And uh, when we provide the conditions for that nature to be nurtured, it flourishes quite spontaneously, quite naturally, and it resolves and, and dissolves the past. The only thing that inhibits our capacity to be the full human being that we are, and we'll talk about what it means to be a human being, you know, in the, in the coming episodes, at least from my perspective. When when we, we provide the conditions for us to for that to be nurtured, what we realize is that that there is an immediate cessation of suffering. The thing that causes us to remain trapped in a cycle of thinking that retards our capacity to progress through certain experiences, um, relationship dynamics, and just this general sense of dissatisfaction with our life experience. And so to, to kind of answer your question or, you know, to respond to the inquiry of, you know, how did I get, get here? here? What's the, what's the, what's the story? Um, there is a there is a unique aspect to my story in so much as that I don't recall not being aware of myself 
and the, the, the hypersensitivity that I had to my environment, I was always acutely aware of when something was really right, the experience was really right, and when the experience wasn't. And when it wasn't, I had a, a defiance, mm-hmm. some kind of, I, I can't tolerate this, I don't want to tolerate this, and there needs to be a, a, a workaround for this situation. And what I'm talking about specifically is anxiety, a sense of pain, being rejected as a kid, not feeling like I belonged in certain um, uh, circumstances growing up. All of these things caused uh, an intense compounding of pressure in my chest that was so in contrast with my internal reality, which was so joyful. I, I, I was reflecting last night on, um, you know, some really strong memories that I have uh, that correlate directly with some of my most satisfying experiences now as a man. Being still and absorbing the moment and feeling the relationship between everything. It's an abstract thing, but everything right now is in relationship to its to itself and to everything else. And when I put my attention outside, even if I just turn my head, and what I see is the, the light bouncing off the timber. And what I, where I get my bliss from is through allowing my senses to move into relationship dynamics, the way light is refracted from water, the way wind causes the surface of water to move, the way wind brushes across my cheek, the way the fire in my fireplace crackles, the way in which snow falls. And what I notice that I am so captivated by and feel so like, ah, in here about is that I'm observing the mechanics of nature which reveals to me the truth it's in direct contrast with the fabricated reality, our human reality, that is so often at a discord with the natural world. And I find myself naturally sending my senses into the natural relationship between things. And what that does is it brings me back into myself or it, 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 it's, a, it's a pure mirror of who I am because all I'm seeking to do is be in relationship with the world in the most harmonious and dynamic way whereby my attention is a source of nourishment, a source of elevation in some way where my individuality is serving some greater need, some greater purpose than... Uh, just my own personal needs. And so, just to bring it back, when I'm reflecting, when I re- last night when I was reflecting on my childhood experiences, I have such strong, vivid memories of my relationship to nature. All my strongest memories are of the turning of the seasons, feeling, um, you know, summer turn into fall, 
feeling fall turn into winter, feeling winter turn into spring and just the, the leaves and just everything. And I was just, I grew up in a relatively normal suburb, but I was surrounded by the elements that would communicate with me. And I remember having distinct moments where I felt torn between my relationship to what was just innocent and always present and what, what sent controlled, contrived and, um, uncaring in my relationship with ad- certain adults and certain dynamics that I found myself in. And it was, it was kind of tearing me in two. The way people were, the way the world was, was splitting me. And as I got older and older, I noticed that it was a battle that everybody was experiencing, whether they were conscious of it or not. And for the most part, at school, everyone was losing the battle. I was noticing people just conform to the, the imposed mentalities that, that, that were, they were exposed to from teachers. We call it conditioning, social conditioning. And I noticed how, as I went through school, I had to become increasingly more internally defiant of what was happening around me. And I remember being in kindergarten after sit, after the, the novelty of having every colored crayon, Play-Doh, colored paper and thing wore off, which was about six weeks. I remember the novelty of all of that sort of wore off. And, and then I sat there and I looked out the window and I saw the sixth grade students. And they were much bigger than me. They were the big kids. And I knew that those big kids were going to go to high school because we had family friends who were in high school. So I understood the concept of high school and that went for an extra whole many years. And I remember sitting and going, oh, my God, I've got another 12 years of this. It was such a real thing that caused a profound anxiety in me. And I, I was so conscious of this struggle to constantly remain in connection with me through those childhood years. And so, you know, it all, it, it was always there, but it, it only really became evident to me that it was a thing. My awareness was a thing when there were pressures imposed upon me that co- contrasted it. The innocence of just being present, the innocence of just being able to enjoy the, you know, the experience of being alive, being creative and just expressing myself to then having to kind of conform in, and, and participate in exercises and activities and things that just made no sense to me whatsoever. And that didn't take into consideration the experience I was having. No one, no adult was speaking my language. And I felt increasingly more separate, isolated and alone. And that created an immense anxiety in me. And I, to get to sleep every night, I recall lying in bed so aware (laughs) of what was going on and just going and um, sending my attention into the anxiety in my chest. I felt like the only way that I could deal with it was just to completely be with it and to gently breathe into my chest. And I noticed that 
if I lay there and just breathe into the anxiety, what would happen? Two things would happen. One, the sensation would sort of subside. The tightness in my chest would subside. And I kind of have this experience of falling into myself. And we're talking about, you know, the age of six or seven. I've got memories of about the age of six or seven, really deliberately doing this. And I know it was happening a long time before that, but I was like, yeah, I've got to do that thing because my anxiety is this, I've got to, I'm feeling that yucky thing and I need to do that other thing. It wasn't conceptual, you know what I mean? It was just a spontaneous thing that I did. And as a result, what I do is just move into this quieter, calm state and fall off to sleep. And then I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be all happy and then I'd step outside and then I'd enter the realm of adults and then it had just sort of the cloud would come back over again and then the anxiety would kick back in and I was in that battle again. And I noticed over the years, and I do this every night, I had no choice. It was kind of like my own way of, of being able to fall asleep and just go back into my own world. I noticed that I became increasingly more disengaged in the classroom. I never did any of the schoolwork. I just was like, I'm not doing it. I don't care. <laughs> it's dumb. You, you, no, one can, no one can explain to me why we're doing this. All I want to do is draw and paint and play and, and whatever. And it was a, it caused a lot of tension with my family and my, you know, teachers and whatever. Throwing into the mix, I was born, uh, uh into a, a, a family that were not religious, but by tradition, we were always, everyone was christened Church of England, Anglican. The school I went to was Catholic. And so they didn't accept me, <laughs> uh, as, as a kind of, a, and my sister, as someone who could participate in any of the religious ceremonies and whatever. And I was intrigued by this guy called Jesus. I'm like, who's this guy? He sounds cool. And, um, but was always confused about my, my relationship to him and the way it was taught. That's a whole nother subject. <laughs> um, and, uh, at the age of seven, my parents were divorced. And that kind of happened quite suddenly for us because they never argued in front of us. They kind of just one day announced that they were, the dad was no longer going to be living with us. And that, that hit me like a, 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 like a wrecking ball. That had such a massive impact on me. It was unbelievable. And I think we really underestimate the effect that, that divorce and separation has on our children. Um, and how much work needs to go into, you know, really taking them through a process of, of really coming to terms with what it means and how to counteract the, the deficit of not having these two adults, caring, loving adults in, in the, in the children's lives, you know, the, as you, as you know, mm -hmm. um, so fast forward, you know, 10 years moving through my teens, I, I had a, a huge mistrust of adults and the adult world. It, it all seemed like a, a, a load of baloney to me. I thought everybody was confused and didn't really know what they were on about. And I made a decision at a very young age that I was going to define the way I was going to live on my own terms. And that was often very frightening because I was fully aware of what I didn't know. And I was always anxious about how I was going to make a living at 12 because I knew I wasn't going to go to university. I knew I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to participate in school. I just knew I was like, I, 
I, I, like I actually felt like I couldn't, even if I wanted to. My dad for, for half a year made me, because he was an academic, both my parents were academics, you know, he came from a, a very poor family and put himself through university, through scholarships and topped his university and became a very successful barrister and family lawyer and everything, and so my mum. And so he was, he was really disturbed by me, <laughs> but at the same time could see that I was something unique and he was in battle as well. Both, both my parents, my mum was very encouraging. She's just like, yeah, you've, you've totally got this, you know, you, you, you've got to live your life on your own terms. And my dad eventually came around when I demonstrated for half a year that I could participate in school. You know, he just needed to see that I could do it. <laughs> and then once I did it, I said, see, I, I can do it, right? I just don't want to do it, so don't make me do it. And he, they both let go. It was extraordinary. I was about 15. And it was at that time that we, we ended up m moving. My parents were divorced at that stage. My mum was with another partner whom we, I didn't get on with very well. And um, we, we moved away from uh, where I grew up. And the, the, the whole world opened up to me. I, I landed a commercial a television commercial uh, that allowed me to uh, take up this new sport at the time that no one had heard about called rollerblading. And in that, in that, uh, that day of filming, my life kind of completely changed. You know, I, I, the trajectory that, that getting that one job sent me off on this extraordinary journey of becoming a, a professional rollerblader and an actor. Um, and in that, in that uh, process from about the age of 15 to about 19, I was able to go on a, a journey of discovering how I can be the most expressive of myself on my own terms and be completely supported by my parents in doing that. And I began the process of resolving my relationship to the world that was, um, you know, at, at, you know, through my teens, it was a, a as I described in the book I just wrote, I was a, a big bag of happy fuck you. I was like an, a happy rebel sort of thing, you know, um, defiant. Um, and uh, during those years, I was always practicing this, this, this process of becoming increasingly intimate with my, my feelings and my relationship to the world. And what I started to realize that so much of the choices that I was making um, on a day-to-day -day basis in, in identifying myself as not belonging, my identity, like I shaved my head, I had piercings and all kinds of things, tattoos well before I was legally able to have them and all that kind of stuff. And I realized that I'd based this identity um, on who I didn't want to be. And... As I, as, as I progressed, what I realized was the thing that I was yearning for most was to belong to everything, again, like I did as a child. And because I started living on my own terms, I saw that there was actually an opportunity for me to have that experience. I didn't actually have to live my life as if I was separate. I could actually make a choice at some point if I wanted to, to reconcile my disdain with so much that I hated and make peace with it. And so that process started to happen in my late teens. And then by the time I was about 18 or 19, 
my practice of being with myself became very um, uh, artful in, in terms of it wasn't just a random thing. I was making choices on a daily basis to start my day and end my day with sitting and just being with myself and really connecting with the experience that I was having because I recognized that when I did that, it made my, the rest of my day fantastic. And at this stage, the, the word meditation wasn't even, a, wasn't even in my vernacular. But this is what I'd been doing. I came to learn a couple of years later that I'd been doing since I was seven. A lot of the practices that I was, I was you know, engaging in on a daily basis are actually really specific techniques that are taught by a variety of different t- traditions. And so, unbeknownst to me, I went through this pretty radical transformation as a result of practicing this stuff in a very innocent and very natural way. And it was only when I made my first trip to India um, in my late teens and seeking out a teacher because I was having a, a whole bunch of very extraordinary experiences that I that no one had any language or concept to to verify and validate, reassure me that I wasn't going crazy. (laughs) Um, And so I was was kind of told and encouraged to go to India because there were some people there that might be able to provide me with some some insight and guidance. And when I went to India and I I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, engage with, you know, a, a great master in a formal teaching process, a formal learning process um, about what I was experiencing. What I learned, one, was everything that I was experiencing is actually the most natural thing. I thought I was the odd one out. You know, through all of these years, you know, I had nobody to, to really talk to about this, communicate to about it. And, um, and when I went to India, I was like, oh, my God, this has, like, been going on for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> and what I've been practicing is the most normal and natural thing. And... Um, Every, so much came together for me in that first trip to India. And this is where I, I started a very long, intimate relationship with both that country, the, the, the profound, extraordinary knowledge that came from that country, and developing the art of being a student, learning how to learn from, from great masters, which is a, you know, a huge topic that I want to explore in this podcast. And so since my formal training started... Around then, I, I would say that you know I've uh, I've dedicated you know a good couple of hours every day, at least, to um, the journey inward, and then bringing what I've extracted, the gold that I've extracted in that process, and experimented and explored how I can make it more relevant in the world, and that's been going on for over twenty years, and so what you perceive me to be whatever that is, and I believe that's really different for every person that encounters me. I'm sure, I'm sure that there's some common themes in the experience. Um, but what, you, what you're observing is, is the byproduct of a, a dedication and a commitment to not ever accepting some external force or some dissonant sensation overriding my experience of love for myself and for life. It was a, a, an unrelenting defiance. And I think that's the only thing that I can 
describe to you that has enabled me to be here. <clears throat> and now I, I recognize through years and years of doing this and experimenting and inquiring about everybody else's experience, the thing that became so interesting to me was we, what I, when I put my attention on other people, and what I noticed also as people would start to come to me and ask me questions about what I was experiencing. They're like, what are you, much like what you said, you know, what, what are you experiencing? I, I want to know because I want this thing that I'm experiencing to stop. And so I became, you know, very dedicated to formalizing my capability to, to help people do that. You know, med being a meditation teacher is the entry point for, for, for that. And, um, uh, what I realized is that every single one of us, in all my years, I'm absolutely certain of this, that every single one of us has this immense natural intelligence that is governed by an abstract experience of feeling love for ourself. If you'd ask me how to simplify it, that's, that's the simplest I can give it to you. We have an innate wisdom that gives us the capacity to negotiate, navigate, and reconcile absolutely every single thing that we feel confronted by, challenged by, overwhelmed by. We have within us a power that is always there as, a, as an unbounded reservoir, and I'm yet to see its limits. And I've dealt with some pretty heavy shit. And I know some people that I've worked with that have dealt with some pretty heavy things. And I've shown them how to tap it. And they've just overcome these challenges, the far greater challenges that I've perceived that I've had to face. You know, the death of children, their children, and things like this, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in the last sort of 10 years, <clears throat> I've noticed a massive increase in the level of human dissatisfaction and a spike in inquiry about how we can d resolve the dissatisfaction. And so I've taken it upon myself to utilize everything that I've learned to create something that is going to have as wide um, an impact to provide people with some insights about how they can begin the journey of accessing this experience that I'm talking about. That was a powerful start to the series that really lit a fire in the 12 guests present in the room, despite most of them never having meditated before. The following nine episodes to come are the result of a seven-hour session that continued after this episode where we unpacked a wide variety of challenges that we all face on a daily basis that we don't get to talk about in such a constructive format. In these episodes, it's my desire through these candid discussions with people from all walks of life to reveal insights and practices that I hope will become powerful tools in your journey of becoming more of yourself. If you feel inspired to come on this journey with us, as a suggestion moving forward, 
find a small notebook or use your phone to take down some notes or statements and suggested practices that I recommend to my guests and reflect on what was most relevant to you. How can you apply these lessons in your daily life right now? At the end of each episode, we'll leave you with a piece of beautiful music composed by the one and only Ali Lieberman. Use this time after each episode to reflect, write it down, and then make a commitment to implementing some new approach to an old problem. If in this episode you felt inspired to want to learn meditation, there's two really great ways that we can recommend. Right now you can download the One Giant Mind app and learn with our 12-step course. But the most potent way to learn is with a teacher. We recommend that you go to the One Giant Mind website, onegiantmind.com, that's the numerical one, giantmind.com, and search out one of our certified teachers. Now, if you're feeling called to become a meditation teacher, be sure to check out the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Academy. More than ever, we need expertly trained teachers to step out into the world to meet the demand of the growing number of people seeking a simple and effective way to learn how to practice meditation. We hope that you can join us for the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.